the best part about him twerking on his belly twerks and his booty twerks. Both sides. <laughs> Be careful. He's going to mute you. <laughs> Again. He can't Again. mute me now. He's going to open his drink. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. Good it's call. part of the show now. Yeah. Fucking guys. Party that's, open. Is it? Oh. oh. Well, I guess you got to drink two Red Bulls tonight. Welcome back to the number one financial literacy podcast in the world. Welcome back to the show, everybody. The one and only Saeed Omar Arun, who nobody really actually knows the spelling of his name back there as well. Yeah, Arun. How did people spell your name? It was actually interesting how many people tried to spell my name, though. What do you so, mean? We had a live pre-show tonight on Instagram where uh, five of you attended. and uh, <laughs> Four of them <laughs> attempted to spell my name. Yeah, yeah, four of them attempted to spell his name. And uh, I the most common running theme is A-R-U-N. Arun. 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 If I was from India or Pakistan, that's how you spell it. I really don't feel like uh, a lot of people have the name Arun. Uh, Maybe I, we should say it the way that it's it's Harun. I know three Aruns. I think that if we started calling him Harun, yeah, I think people will know how it's spelled. Hey Harun. Yeah. Or how just, common is the name Harun for a baby born in 2021? Arun was the 2027th most popular boy's name in 2021. There were only 72 baby boys named Arun. One out of every. 25,842 babies born in 2021 were named Arun. I got to be honest with you, that is probably the most useless fact I've read in a long time. <laughs> so thank you for really corrupting the show's value. <laughs> Let's go. We got a lot to get into tonight. That's a lie. It's not. He, he's just trying to sugarcoat it because he knows he didn't, didn't do that the last couple episodes. And you walked it back a little bit. Oh. Coming, coming from the guy that left two notes in here and said... Build up. The, look at this. Look at this. One, two, and say got How many articles? Two, three, How many articles I got in there? Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. I know because I was fucking working all day long, my little nubby fingers to the bone, on getting Larry Wheels episode ready to go. So I hope all 10 million of his followers <laughs> listened and watched because there was a lot of love and energy that went into that show. It's about yes. time you're starting to carry your weight. I feel like that's a weight joke. Are you trying to suggest that I'm slightly on the pudgy side? No, I'm just happy you're like participating with like helping out the show grow. Oh, oh. Normally, yeah, like, I do not do that. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Oh. No, oh. we got we got uh, we got Said over here doing the shorts. You got me doing the video edits, and you're. Spending I think what like you're trying to say with Said is Said doing the doing... short. No, these the shorts. shorts. How many shorts? shorts? <laughs> the short. The one. Shorts. <laughs> shorts. He did the short. How many did he make for Larry Wheels? Two. Ask me how many I had to re-edit for him. No. Oh. You wanted to add something to it. I did. I added, I added some extra sass on the end of it, which, yeah. which is great because he's going to share with all 10 million of his ask, followers. Hold on. See it. Ask, ask Chris how many edits he made to the shorts that were mistakes. I'm not sure what the reference is right there. You labeled them episode 167 when they were actually 168. Wow, we're going to make it real now, huh? <laughs> In my defense, it was supposed to be episode 167. Okay? I mean, I don't, what are they supposed to be? Yeah, it was. And the high pitchness doesn't provide any extra value to it what does. your statement you know, is. It does. <laughs> this is supposed to be. Well, on this week's show, we're going to talk about stuff. It doesn't. You know, no one thinks it's more believable. All okay. right. Well, mortgage rates just hit the highest level in 21. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Got him. <I'm> <laughs> Got him. Got him. Damn it. <laughs> Oh, well played, sir. Might be too late to restart the show. All right, so mortgage rates just hit the highest level in 21 years. Imagine our surprise. 
all those realtors out there on social media, everybody talking about the market coming back, this is going to be a big thorn in the side of that theory. We're going to break it down. We're also going to talk about where rates are likely to go. And if you recall from previous shows, we did believe the year was going to end with a much higher mortgage rate than we were seeing in the middle of the year and certainly the beginning of it. And we'll explain why throughout both those articles. That was my fine contribution to the show. And everything else that I'm going to suggest that we talk about is coming from Saeed. So there, credit is being paid. Wow. Are you like that? That's not me. It was him. Okay. Well, both of you get your little kudos, okay? Okay. Thank All you, All right, sir. then. All right. Then we're going to move on from there and talk about the San Francisco Fed's expectations for the households to run out of a little bit of that, uh, you know, COVID savings they were getting thrown down. I guess uh, the uh, whole $1 trillion in debt and the high auto loan problem is coming to a head as student loan payment begins. Mm, yes, sir. And then we're going to talk about the Fed's commentary in the Fed Minutes. They see, quote, upside risks, end quote. And I got to tell you, that was one of the most depressing reads I've read in a long time. It basically said, hey, America, we don't really give a fuck about how you feel. Just need you to bend over. Yep. Uh, this This is for your own good. Yeah. We are going to put a little bit of lubricant on our finger to make sure that your health is okay. And just perform an exam. And I'm going to need you to cough. Okay? Yeah. Because this ain't over yet. Right. That's what the Fed basically did. And uh, there's a lot that I have actually kind of pontificated on. I think we should talk about uh, some interesting things that could happen if they take some of the steps that they may suggest. But let's kick it off with the mortgage rate, shall we? Let's do it. Did you want to sing the rest of the song you were singing pre-show? What's, what song? Let's, let's oh, do you... It. <laughs> Do it good is yeah. what you were saying? No, let's do it. I don't remember the lyrics. Can you help me out? I don't remember. Ah, that's convenient. Yeah. According to Forbes, which is probably one of the most irreputable magazines in the world these days, they sold to a new owner, and a lot of people have paid endorsements coming out of there, but this is not one of them. Mortgage rates just hit the highest level in 21 years. Okay? That's a that's a big statement, like we read the show at the top of the show, but basically the average 30-year Mixed mortgage rate was 7.09% during the seven-day period leading up to this Thursday, August 17th, according to weekly data released by the mortgage provider Freddie Mac. Now, if you recall from previous shows and many shows we've talked about this before, the average mortgage rate you might see on Google can vary from this number. But the fact of the matter is this number has increased pretty significantly in the last couple of months. On top of that, interest payments are now more than twice as steep as they were at the beginning of just last year when 30-year mortgage rates hovered around 3% just before the Fed's tightening cycle kicked off and kicked you right in the ding-ding. Imagine an NFL punter, because we like sports references here, Okay, okay? running at full cadence, preparing to kick a ball to win the game, but it's a long field goal. Okay, It's the longest one of his career. He knows he's got a really, really... Get underneath that ball. Let's expose something real quick. What's considered a long field goal, Chris? Ah, 50 yards. That's yeah. actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah it's not, it's not yeah. bad. I watched the show once. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thoroughly impressed. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Anyway, so as he gathers, gets into that same formation that he always takes to kick the ball every single time because he's nervous. He just knows he has to kick the living shit out of this ball to get it through the field goal. Yeah. All right? To get through the uprights. Right. He runs, full cadence. He's running towards the line. Three, two, the clock's counting down. And instead of the ball, it's America's crotch. Okay? 
That's what the Fed's rates have done to our Fed interest rate cycle and effectively the mortgage rates. Yeah, the mortgage rates, right? Because the Atlanta GDP now figures saying everything is fine, man. It's all good, bro. Everything is good. Hey, Q3 estimates are 5.8%. Yeah, GDP is growing. The hell's going on? This country is blowing up. The average for the first two quarters was two percent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now that figure, you know, fluctuates on a week to week basis. So I wouldn't be surprised by the end of this if it comes down. But still, how much? How much? How much is it going to come down by the end of Q three? All I'm saying is, is damn, man, damn, damn. You, is you right. can't put this much savings in people's pockets and expect the recession to change and pivot the way it normally would. And the data we're going to talk about later on is going to really impact that. But I got right. one more paragraph from this article to read before Saeed and I pivot slightly with more data. Potentially more troublesome for the broader economy is the difference between the average mortgage rates and the government-issued bonds. Moody's analytics economist Chris Derites told MarketWatch the 277 base point spread between the 10-year Treasury note yields and the 30-year average mortgage rate is, quote, highly unusual, end quote and typically only observed during periods of financial crisis, such as the Great Recession or the early 1980s recession, the Volcker era, baby. What does that mean? What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. Since I'm asking myself questions. Tell me. I'm trying to... I'm trying to listen to Odun's notes of me. I'm like, I'm going to let you speak. I'm going to let you go. I don't want to. I don't necessarily agree with his notes when you go, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I think that that's sexy. Yeah. I feel like it's engaging for the listener. It's right? engaging for me. Yeah. Some people need audio stimulus. A little bit? I don't know. I'll, I'll try to do it a little bit more often, but also cut back. That makes no sense, but I like it. That's what, yeah, I was okay. also trying to help with the shorts that we do. With the edits, yeah. Yeah. We can yeah. edit those out, though. Yeah, but it's like time consuming. He's over here trying to edit the video and then he has to cut out his ums and yas and okay. He's he's trying to be thoughtful. Yeah, he is. That, yeah. That's, 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 I always appreciate yeah. it. I appreciate it too. Okay, you're, so you're what very is, much appreciated. So Haroon. So what does it mean, Chris? It means we've got a big problem. Okay. In theory, we are already in a recessionary economy if you were to look at the standards like, for example, the difference between or the spread between these two metrics, right? So if the Treasury note yields and the 30-year average rates or the yield curve inversion, like we've talked about so many times on this show. Which, by the way, is at its highest point since 2008, right now. You're loaded on that. You were waiting, just waiting for me to fire, weren't Ten, you? 10-year Treasury, 4.25%. So truly, that needs to be above 5 and a quarter percent if mm -hmm. not higher. Right. But that puts upward pressure on mortgage rates. The 10-year Treasury is the closest influence to pushing up mortgage rates. It's just where the market trades, and that's how you push mortgage rates up over the long term. Right, and a lot of people get get it confused with the Fed funds rate, right, that we, we constantly talk about after every FOMC meeting when that goes up. Does that mean mortgage rates go up? Those, are, those two aren't closely connected like that. Um, it does factor in a little bit, but it's more tied to the 10-year treasury. There's been a lot of conversation with the Fed funds rate, so naturally people think about that as like the first thing that moves and it has all this impact, but it really doesn't. The, the Fed funds rate is just the cost for banks to borrow money. Now that has a trickle down effect because if banks eat into their profitability by their cost of funds going up, they're going to charge you the customer more. And at the same time, all the loans they've made over the last 14 years are now less than market value for similarly situated rates and loans. So 
it does have a significant impacts on the on the financial system, which it, is something else to think about later on. And I plan to get into it a little bit later on the show. Why why it matters so much? Oh, look at you, prepared yeah. and ready to go. Yeah, I wish mm. I was. Mm. Moving on to the next article, which I think is a good segue because then it'll give you a bigger, broader picture for us to talk about this more in the aggregate. Now, for those of you who know that uh, I particularly hate the National Association of Realtors data because everything they say is slanted towards this salesperson perspective, it's very rare they come out with a somber and sobering message. This is no different, even though it happens to align with what we believe to be reality. The reason why is the National Association of Realtors, they make their commissions, the realtors do, off the home values being higher. The rate is irrelevant to them, but their solution to the affordability crisis will always be rates go down, home values go up because their commissions are higher as home values go up. If I make two and a half, three percent 3% on the sale of this home and the home's worth a million dollars, right, I make more money. Right. If... Rates go up and home values come down and the home is now worth, you know, 800000 but it's more affordable in this, in this context. I make less money. Right, but you could make more if you sell more units. Correct. But this argument, as the Association of Realtors put out and reported by Market Watch, is one that is self-serving for their cause but also happens to be right. Mortgage rates could hit 8%, economists say, citing a worrying sign not seen since the Great Recession. The 30-year rate is at a, quote, critical stage, and quote. Lawrence Yoon, <clears throat> terrible, <clears throat> sorry. Oh, God. God. I just saying his name is so painful. He's a chief economist at the National Association of Realtors. He told that to MarketWatch. The Yoon. The Yoon. Now, of course, he's citing rates could be 8%. They could be high, and this could be very, very troublesome, just like, Great Recession. Well, of course, they want rates to go down. I will not be surprised if rates hit up 75 to 8% by the end of the year. We actually called that, if you recall. We did. Very, I think January. We did it on, we even called it as, as early as, uh, I think, your last live with Adam. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah, whenever, that. whenever that was. I remember us talking about 8% rates. And it's not rocket science, kids. It's not uh, anything that anybody who's in the economist sphere should should not know already themselves. Uh, Arun, what are you pulling up here? What is this? Uh, mortgage rates, 30-year fix on average. Is that 8%? Is that what that says? Yeah, that's 8%. So typically when people are citing yeah. mortgage rates, they're looking at what what's offered by Freddie. Right. Um, this might be with people lower uh, credit This could scores. be just across the market. Yeah, yeah, across the market. But typically what people track is uh, Freddie. So, yeah, so the, the, the quote, GSEs, the government-sponsored enterprises, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, they're hovering just north of 7%. The aggregate industry looks like it's closer to 8% currently as it is right now. But anytime you hear a citing of these numbers, they're really talking about the agency stuff. Right. That's where you get your conforming, traditional, good-quality credit. Like, that's the baseline. So what I should say is that this was predictable, okay? We knew the yield curve inversion pre typically precedes recessionary economies. And it typically precedes it as an indicator. So we've seen all these warning signs. And this is the one to me that has been flashing red and gone largely ignored for the longest period of time. The yield curve inversion will have to undo itself. The 10-year treasury will have to rise higher than the two-year treasury. And when that happens, it will continue to put upward pressure on mortgage rates all the way up. Now, you just said earlier in the show that it was in the four handles. Four and a quarter. Four and a quarter. And why this needs to happen, because if you think about it realistically, there needs to be more uncertainty for the long run than the short term. 
right? Because there always is. There, there always is. There should be. That's the way a healthy economy goes. If right? I loan you money and you tell me you're going to pay me back in two years, there's a lot more probability you pay me back in two years than there is if you tell me I'm going to pay you back in the next 10 years. Given whatever financial documents you provide me where I can prove like, okay, historically over the last several years, he's he's been making this much. He, mm -hmm. This is his debt to income ratio. So I can foreshadow that he'll probably be able to pay me back more likely earlier than later. And that's typically why two-year rates are lower than 10-year rates. It's got bigger risk. You're going out longer terms. That's what, that's what happens. Right. So taking that all into focus, think four, four and a quarter rate right now. If that number in the treasuries goes up to five and a quarter, right, where it probably should be to be higher than the two-year treasuries, then you're going to see, let's just say one, one for one, a 1% raise, maybe close to that. That's 8.09%. Eight to nine. Right now, you're talking seven to eight, depending on whether you're, you're a qualified bar, buy or borrower with or a not. Good, with a good credit score. So you're talking eight to nine percent. So I truly believe you could see an eight handle, eight and some change by the end of this year, still like we talked about at the earlier part of the year. I think you're going to see upward pressure on mortgage rates. And here's where that gets scary is realtors and people that, that are watching the real estate market closely have always cited supply and demand, right? Yes. Because in their world, supply and demand is driven by rate. Well, sometimes it's also driven by the fact that people can't afford the homes. And this has been an argument that's been somewhat compelling. I've, I've taken up, obviously, pretty clear arguments with Dave Ramsey's people on some of the affordability stuff. Home value is coming down, and I think it has now they've popped back up a little bit. This is going to be catastrophic because not only are people unwilling – to sell their homes because 92% of people have a mortgage rate below, I think it was what, 6%? 6%, yep. 60% right. have a mortgage rate uh, below 5%. So now you got a world people don't want to sell because their mortgage rate's so low. And now you can have a world where people don't want to buy because mortgage rates are more than double at an 8% handle. Something has got to give. What will be the catalyst to unlock this frustration, this consternation in the market? And I don't have an answer for that. Right, it's something that needs to be noted because um, I've been I've been engaging with some of the listeners a little bit more frequently, and they've been asking me some good questions. And some of them have been saying, "Well, how does this impact me? Like, why should I care about this if I already have a home?" And how have you been engaging with listeners, Said? Oh, He's the man of the people. Hey, I am the, I'm the people's champ. Are you actually physically calling them or text messaging them, or how, how are no, you how they, are you engaging? They're they're all been my DMs. All up in your DMs. I mean, on the social media platform that you said you would never have because you didn't believe in social media, but I convinced you to do it for the show. Right. That platform? That I promised if I got that I would engage with the listeners and I'm staying true to my word. You know what you should also do? You should take some time out of your busy and chaotic schedule to, mm -hmm. I don't know, post some shit on your social media. I'm working on it. Okay. I am working on All it. Right. I, I, got, I got some ideas in the works. So The listeners want to know. They want to know. I got some good stuff coming. Um, but... People are asking me, so why should I care about this? You guys, you guys. How you like that, Arun? <laughs> that was good. Yeah. Well, you should have slow played it a little bit. Nah, I should have gotten closer to the mic, but I'm not as advanced as Arun is. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's a champ. Yeah, he's a champ. So um, remember, the real estate market makes up a fifth of the economy. Okay? Yep. That's, that's a huge part. And with, with rates going this high, it's going to constrain the market even more, right? Existing homeowners, like we talked about, are locked into their low rates, and they're not going to want to sell their homes and leave because they don't have to pay thousands of more dollars to get a new place because they're not going to be able to afford it, and there's so much uncertainty in the market, right? Um, I personally don't 
see a world where rates don't get to seven and a half to eight percent, right? Um, I mean, I can paint a scenario for you if you want. I think the ten-year Treasury has to continue to go up. Me personally, I don't see it going down. It ultimately has to. It ultimately has to. In theory, I guess you could have something really strange happen, Um, but when we get into the Fed minute section, there there is a clear indication that the Fed is going to be very bullish still on their on their positioning. So because of the Fed's commentary in and of itself, unless something catastrophic happens and we have something that, that we would call a bigger, I guess, starting point to a recessionary economy than what we've already seen in the banking sector, absent that, I don't think that you can avoid a seven and a half to eight handle easily. I think you're going to get over eight by the end of the year. I really do think you're going to see I, that. I, I do too, especially with you know all the positive reports that are still coming out. Because you remember, the Fed's job is to control two things mainly, right? Inflation and maximum employment. I don't want to be this guy, but I'm calling bullshit on all the reports. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, Jolt Report, fuck you, okay? <laughs> I, I, I see what's going on. Like, I just, I, no, this is political now. Yeah, I mean, I, some of these businesses haven't been so rate sensitive. I know a lot of corporations over the last couple no, years. No, I, I, don't, I don't buy any of this stuff. The, the, really? The jobs report I don't buy. I don't buy the unemployment numbers. I don't buy any of this stuff because I know more people now mm-hmm. that, are, that are showing signs of needing to save and thinking about money and being – being thoughtful about these things. I understand it's not pervasive yet where it's just everywhere, but I see recession every single time I talk to people. Yeah. Well, with mortgage rates going this high and what that could do, you know, to the market and what that can do to expectations, um, is expect the expectations will go out the window of being able to afford a house. It's already there. Okay. Not only is it um, already there in, in states like California, like we covered, you know, last episode, uh, you know, 16% of the population can afford to buy a home. Yeah, I know. I mean, generationally, we, we have kids moving in with parents. You, you have, it's just wild to me how the only – I never thought in a million years we would get to the point where people just literally have to leave states because they just can't afford the lifestyle anymore. Mm-hmm. That That's crazy. It is. I mean, it's it's sad that it's getting to this point, but I do think a correction is coming. How big of a correction? I don't know when that correction comes. It seems like yeah. the lagging indicators are really lagging, lagging more than even we accounted for over a year ago, right? Yeah, but I mean, it makes sense when you think about it in retrospect. You put two point three, was it trillion billion into people's uh, wallets? Trillion. Yeah, yeah, that's how much the stimulus two package. Two point three trillion. Two point three trillion. Yeah. So many so much, zeros. Yeah. So many zeros. At least exactly. it isn't a quadrillion again, right? Right. Uh, you put that much money into people's savings, and the consumers are going to hold up better than they have historically in any other recessionary economy. Mm-hmm. In no other recessionary economy in the world have we ever pumped a ton of savings in people's pockets in the form of free money. Right. Stimulus, PPP loans, that whole clusterfuck of the COVID situation where the government pumped money in, into the consumer. And then you have all these recessionary trends. Well, of course, consumers are like, nah, I'm good. Right. I'm Gucci. How much is that car? I want it. Yeah, they had, you know? they had, uh, so the San Francisco Fed recently um, came out and noted how much the savings has gone down. They, consumers have gone from like 500 billion to like 190 billion yeah, y'all in their, in their savings it, account. So the consumer that's been propping up the market has dipped into the savings so much. That's a 62% decline. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. if you think that this can just go on forever, why are savings just going out the window? Why, why is credit card debt hitting all-time highs, right? People are digging into their savings. They're racking up all this credit card debt, and student loan repayments are, are, are coming on again. Um, what's going to happen is, and right now, 
with the expectations of the housing market going out the window, what else is going to get impacted? Durable goods are going to get impacted, right? Like manufacturing of cars and fi- financing for cars and trucks are going out the window. It's too expensive. Nobody can afford it, right? And what, what does that mean? Why? Because people are going to want to hold to be able to buy a house later. What can't they do? You can't add on another car payment before you buy a house because that affects your debt-to-income ratio, right? So all, that's going to all start coming down. How many jobs get impacted by the real estate market? A lot. A lot, right? Yeah. Um, and like we said, it makes up a fifth of the economy. So with saving, savings coming down and credit card debt going reaching all-time highs, I don't know where this goes. It doesn't. It does. It doesn't look well. So I know what the Atlanta Fed is reporting: five point eight percent GDP. I'm calling BS on that. See, so you, 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 you front in, you're coming in my camp now. Right. Be- like, the numbers just don't make sense. Yeah. And here, you know, something interesting too. Mm. Little sidebar here. Yeah. The reporting around some of this stuff has pivoted greatly, and I think there's two things that are happening. Number one, I think America is burnout on recession talk. We've heard it for like a year and a half. And everyone's like, uh, what the fuck, guys? I'm not seeing a recession. Mm-hmm. And now, like, the banks are even saying, well, you know, we don't see one this year. They're revising the soft landing pitches and all that stuff. But I think people are just generally tired of talking about this because it, it just gets scary at some point. It's right? scary and it hasn't happened yet. So they're like almost like not buying into it. Right. And I had a conversation with somebody in the social media sphere and okay. I was talking to her about the number of views people were getting and stuff like that. And then she made a really profound point. She was talking about one person's social media reach having like, I think it was 1.3 million people in a week period. Okay. And uh, Arun, you might you might get ready to Google this because I'm not entirely sure. She said, that's better than CNN does right now. Oh, I know. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, outside of CNN being on like every airport in America and like places of like public settings or CNBC, she's like, honestly... Traditional media, mainstream media is dying. And when you think about it, your news feed, when you go through like your phone's news feed, is curated to your interests, not your fears. And unless you're reading about those fears constantly, most people are trying to avoid them. And what did old media do all the time? What they were selling and pitching was fear. They're selling and pitching fear. So now with the media power changing and people saying, you know what? I want to learn about money. I I like money. I'm going to talk about it. So I'm going to go to this financial literacy podcast. happens to be an honest five-star review-worthy financial literacy podcast. Amen, whether that's on Apple or on Spotify. Or if you're a YouTube streamer, we love you too. Just leave a comment. You know, we talked about this on the last episode, and I was thinking about it. You know, how we we did the whole breakdown. We did the Urban Dictionary lookup of smash that like button. What does smash mean? Which means to have sex with a like button. So we say you could smash that like button, you can hook up with that subscribe button, and you can get down and dirty with the bell and get all the notifications. Put some thought into that, did you? (laughs) I did. I did. This is what you do when you can't see. This is going to be an ongoing thing. You're just going to yeah, smash that like button and hook up with that subscribe button. Because <laughs> we're so juvenile on this show. I, I, we're just emotionally unstable. <laughs> I, 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 that's what it is. We got to keep it going, man. Every it's... time someone tells me that they listen to the show with their kids, I'm like, oh my God, it's so amazing. Then I go, oh shit. I'm sorry. Um, I did not mean to talk about having <laughs> sex with a like button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you got to keep it light and fluffy, but. You know, uh, it could be worse. We could be like the Fed uh, kicking everybody in the ding-ding with their minutes. Oh, yeah, their minutes. So we can get into that. So back to that recession talk real quick, something that I wanted to break down because this was another listener that got into the DMs and wanted to ask. So you guys have been talking about the recession 
for a long time now. And um, wh- where is it? Why hasn't it got kicked off yet? And I-, I did some research to break this down as simple as possible. A recession can start one of three ways, and it's a cycle, okay? It's usually there's, and it can go in any format. Businesses lay off workers, which could cause people to spend less money, which could ultimately make businesses make less profit, okay? That's, that's one way. Another way? Businesses could make less profit, a.k.a. Uh, businesses will have to lay off workers, and you get laid off. Now you have to spend less money. Mind you, all these scenarios are scenarios that we thought were going to happen. And I feel like they're ultimately going to happen. They, they have to. And unemployment does have to rise. Wages do have to come down mm-hmm. just as much as home values have to come down and interest rates have to rise. Right. This is not rocket science. These are the natural and probable consequences of the Fed policy. And yes, they're taking an abnormally long period of time to happen, mm-hmm. but they will happen. That's the whole point of this, kids. That's the whole point, right? And if you remember correctly, in June of 2022, when inflation peaked its highest so far, and I'm praying to God it doesn't get back there, let's hope that's the peak, right? Um, before that, leading up to that, there wasn't a whole lot of talk of inflation, right? Why, why did it spiral out of control? Because it's all hinges back to expectations. That's the funny thing about inflation, right? It starts off with people's expectations that influences their behavior, which impacts demand, which ultimately impacts inflation, right? So if, if people think inflation is around the corner, let me go out and hurry up and buy right now before things spiral out of control and cost way too much money. But unfortunately, what that does is ultimately cause more inflation. Yeah, I get that. You know? Uh, and but, it's not wrong. And uh, I think that's why you see the, the Fed being so communicative. That's they're, what, try, they're trying to set proper expectations, mm-hmm. which kind of kicks off that cycle. Right. They're trying to curb the, the behavior of the consumer by saying, hey, this is going to happen. We're going to do X. We're going to do Y. You should expect there to be impacts. But I don't think any of that's working. So one of the things the Fed routinely does, they release their minutes of their meeting, which for those of you who are not in corporate America— the minutes are really just uh, not a, trans- a full transcription, but they're just a detailed um, kind of look back at the meeting and what happened. And some what case, was said and what was done, right? some cases they can be much more detailed than what was said. Sometimes they can be, you know, word for word transcriptions. Uh, and that's what they release. Uh, unfortunately, according to CNBC, Fed officials see the upside risk to inflation possibly leading to more rate hikes minutes show. And this blew up all over both mainstream media and social media. And I got a quote from the article for you here. Good. It was um, it was kind of stunning in that the idea we we had largely thought as a society the Fed was done increasing interest rates because they they took a break they added twenty five basis points and everybody took a deep deep breath breath in and thought okay maybe we're at the end of this interest rate hike, hiking cycle and unfortunately at the end of this two day July meeting we get these minutes now in August a month later. And they seem to suggest that there was a lot more discussion of uncertainty and possibility of this interest rate increase. Yes. And your quote? And my quote from the from the minutes from this article is, with inflation still well above the committee's longer-run goal and the labor market remaining tight, most participants continue to see significant upside risks to inflation. Almost all of them. Which could require further tightening of monetary policy. Yeah. Almost right? all of the participants. But I think um, the... Our two favorite uh, FOMC members are regional presidents John Williams in New York and Patrick 
Arker of Philadelphia, these two are like, look, can we just hold to the end of the year? <laughs> and yeah. they should be the Fed president. <laughs> yeah. They, they, yeah. Should, they should be the secretary. Yeah. The, these are two. I don't know. I don't know if either of these have uh, voting rights or not. But why this is why this is so important, right? I know which way Neil Kashkari voted. This motherfucker right here. Yeah, well, he's yeah. not a voting member, though. I know, but he's still yeah. in the background going, "They need to go up. Yeah. They need to go up." Yeah. So remember that when they raised it twenty five basis points on the last time, that increased the rate to five and a quarter to five and a half percent. That was um, the highest level in twenty two years. Okay. Um, you want to hear a little fun fact? I did some back of the back of the napkin math. You did. Okay. I did. Every once in a while, I can do some maths. Some maths. So all banks report uh, publicly on their call reports. This data is out there, and you can uh, dig it all up if you want to. And maybe on, a, on another episode, we can show you how to get it and how to look at it. But you can see things like their profitability, and you can see all their you know, their financials. And you can also run reports with all the banks in the system. So I ran one. And then I just took a kind of a broad stroke, really basic mathematical approach at this, and I reverse engineered adding 25 basis points more to the current Fed funds rate. Oh, wow. By that projection of the approximate little over 4,700 banks in the country, how many banks do you think go cash flow negative if they increase 25 basis points more? A lot. 1,100. Out of the 4,700. It was so many I had to literally... Go through. I couldn't just count on Excel manually. I actually had to go through Excel to count the cells for me. Wow, eleven hundred banks across this country. So unless they do things like, you know, have further layoffs and do all these crazy things that we've already seen in the market, they would be cash flow negative and start losing money. There was twenty five percent of banks. There was a former the the former chair, not the last one, but Ben Bernanke was the one that originally coined the 2% target, right? 2 to 3% was his range. 2 to 3% was his range. But and in his defense, that was effectively the general target range. Even prior to his control of the, of the FOMC, he just galvanized it in policy. Okay. And why they've been why they're hinting so much at 2%, so many businesses, you know, um, across the nation account for roughly a 2% target range. And it's not even just the U.S. It's actually globally, all all rich countries out there, right? And I can speak for myself. If I'm underwriting a loan, right? And let's just say I'm underwriting uh, an apartment building, right? A multifamily loan. If I'm escalating some of my expenses to account for inflation, I tend to err on a, a range of 3%, a little conservative, even though I know the Fed's target range is 2%, mm. Right. Now imagine if if inflation stays above 3%. What does that do? Right? So and th this is the phobia, um citing from the article and it really speaks to this. However, policymakers worry that declaring victory too soon could repeat critical mistakes of the past. In the 1970s, central bankers raised rates to combat double digit inflation. Remember, they did this by going 25 basis points, 25 basis points, 25 basis points every single meeting. There wasn't this bell curve shape. Uh, bankers raised rates to combat double-digit inflation, but backed off quickly when prices showed tentative signs of backing off. This, of course, caused the resurgence, the resurgence of inflation once again. And this is really the problem that we're kind of seeing globally now, not just here in the U.S., but certainly globally. The Fed is worried 
that none of the lagging indicators are really moving the right direction significantly. Sure, inflation looks like it's pulling back, but we've seen in the 70s and in the 80s that if you start cutting rates too soon, inflation will come roaring back quicker, much quicker. So for them to get confidence that they have done all they need to do, they need to see some of these lagging indicators start moving, unemployment rising, wages lowering, home values coming down, and none of them, none of them are moving in a materially significant way despite the fact that inflation does appear to be coming down and getting close to the target rate for headline inflation anyway, not for core. Yes. So I, I do get their trepidation, if you will. I do get their, their, their wanting to discuss it. Now, do I think 25 basis points in addition to where we're at is needed? No. I think you hold in a prolonged period of holding will probably get the job done, but you don't have enough data to know. I, from my understanding and what I've seen uh, Jerome Powell speak of, it feels as though he's, from, from the beginning, he was okay by triggering a recession, right? I, I would say he, he was fighting he a was, natural and logical consequence of what they have to do. He was okay with it if that meant it was going to ultimately bring inflation back down because he was constantly citing Volcker, which we know double dipped a recession, mm-hmm. right, in the 80s. Yep. And he wouldn't – I don't think it would have bothered him too much if there were some, company, uh, some companies and corporations that had to go under, if some banks did have to go under, so long as nothing completely broke the financial markets. Oh, I, I think they very clearly want M&A in the banking space. Yes. On prior episodes, we've talked about how there are 4,700-plus banks in this country. The nearest country has 500. Yes. So seeing consolidation isn't necessarily the world's worst thing. We've already seen a little bit of that with Silicon Valley Bank, with First Republic Bank, with Signature Bank. Those assets have been sold. Banks have been swooped up. So it wouldn't be crazy to think that that, that's something that they want to happen in theory. But that's no more different than wanting your wages to come down. It's no more different than wanting more unemployment in this space. It's no more different than wanting home values to come down. And that's no different than them saying rates are going to rise for mortgages. But people don't want to hear that. So it's almost hypocritical of them to come out and be, I'm the most communicative Fed ever. We communicate more than anybody else. But you're not saying the hard shit. I truly don't believe that any of them in the FOMC really, really think they can avoid a recession. I agree. I think if anything else, they think it's taboo to say what we are going to do is going to cause a recession, but it's in the best interest of the country. I get it. You know, I'm a parent. You're a parent. Arun's a second-time new parent. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to discipline your kids. I love the path you're going down because I wanted to bring this up on the show before too. Well, take me down the path then, Chief. No, go ahead. I don't, I don't want to cut you off. You did it. Even you though I did, have. I apologize. You can't, but now I don't feel like talking about things. <laughs> it's like I heard a comedian talk about this. I can't remember the one. I wish I could cite him. Um, but he was saying, listen, I got one kid. And for me personally, I have two kids at home, mm-hmm. right? I lie to my kids all the time. This is not good for you. You can't stay up past this bedtime. You could always stay up past your bedtime, right? Sure, but it's bad for them. So I have to tell you, you can't. It's, it's, it's really bad for you, this and that. You got to go to bed because X, Y, and Z, or I'm trying to cover up. I need to to protect them now, right? You're too young to understand. If I got a lot of my kids, you think the Fed chair is going to be honest with me about everything? Ooh, yeah. So I don't go with the lies per se. You don't think he's lying? 
No, no, I, I don't really. I don't like the lying to my kids thing. Okay, you're taking you're sweeping generalization. No, no, no. I, I don't. I don't like to lie to Carter, man. Really? Go ahead. What do you give? What do you give me? Well, no, go ahead. I'm in the Santa me. thing yet, so that that's a whole. Uh, you're gonna lie about Santa. You lie to him all the time, saying Daddy looks good. You okay, don't look that l- good. let's. Okay, wow. Um, I do realize I'm dressed like a like a so, hippie monk. So wait. But, so if Carter goes to school, and he comes home, he's like, Daddy. I got a question. Is Santa real? What are you going to tell him? I think the Santa reference is probably your best point to be a similar situation to the FOMC. All right. I, that, there you go. That, I wouldn't call that lying, though. That's lying. That's a lie. So now I got to tell my son, Santa, you know, ain't, I know. Santa ain't real? I'm saying, I'm saying you need well, to. Well, St. Nicholas may have been real. I'm saying you need to. But the story of Santa Claus has been ingratiated with hyperbole over the years. Yeah. So, Daddy, you know what? Take I like s- you calling me Daddy, though. Yeah. We should stick with that. <laughs> he goes, he goes, Dad. Um, I really don't want to learn math. Okay. I really don't want to go to school. What do you want to do for a living, son? I'm five. I want to stay home and play toy with my toys. Well, when you figure out what you want to do for a living, and if it needs school or not, we'll talk about it. I want to play with my toys, Dad. And nope, unfortunately, that is not a job. Uh, I don't want to have a job. Wow. Well. Uh, Said Omar's house is that way. Yeah. See, look. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're gonna. So, so if if that's the case, then he's lying to. There's no way that the government's not lying to all of us about. It. They're not telling us everything. They're not. You think they're telling us everything they know about Area 51? Come on now. I was just having this conversation with somebody. I swear to God, I know. I know Bob Lazar is telling the truth. There are aliens in Area 51. I believe that man to my core. I believe him. I believe it for sure. I'm telling you right now, and here's here's the part that I don't understand. We think aliens are an advanced species. Mm-hmm. We think they 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 could build technology to go light years. Yes, they can they can d- defy gravity. Right. The part of the story that doesn't make sense is why the fuck would we ever see an actual alien? Then it'd be all drones. Right. Even if they had to fly a ship. With the aliens inside of it to outside of our orbit. And then you don't think they're gonna have drone technology from that to, to the planet? We have satellites ourselves. I'll make it way more simple. Okay. Let's just say the government did have some shit that they were trying to hide from everybody because they thought the world wasn't ready for it. Come on, that's not that far fetched out of reach. Okay. Hell no, it's not far fetched. No. Okay. Now let's say there's a guy out there that is gonna leak that information and just wants to come out clean about everything. I got this. You ready? Wait, wait. And then they decide to wipe out Everything he's ever done, what school he's gone to, where he's worked, he has no history of being anywhere. Let me tell you this. If that, if you're saying that is a conspiracy and that world doesn't exist, it's more likely that that world exists than it doesn't exist. If it didn't work that way, I'd be like, what the fuck is going on in this world? It doesn't make any sense. You're real, real far into that, yeah. You know that there's actual people who remember, who remember and recall seeing Bob Lazar on the plane and working with him there? 100%. And they're like, they're like, yeah, his name's on the registry. He, he never worked there. Right. You know the guy, whoever whoever did that, went home that day going like, I got him. I got him. He's wiped out. <laughs> He's wiped. No one's yeah. going to believe him now. Yeah, exactly. And like 40 years later, that guy's like, shit. Yeah, man. We should have killed him. Oh, man. There was some. There was like a crazy story about, about him, too, where I think he was like on the phone with his wife, and they were tapping his like phone line. Oh, I know this whole story. So, and they found out his wife was cheating on him? So everybody who worked at Area 51 had their phones tapped. Yeah. Because to make sure that, you know, the spouse, because they would work at Area 51, take that jet from Area 51 back to the airport, 
in Las Vegas, and they'd go home to their private lives. Right. So they didn't want the community talking about it, so all their phones were tapped. So they had known that he, his wife was cheating on him. And then when he started doing things, like... When he found out about it, he was, like, in, too unstable? Well, so he started... He found out about it, and they started, you know, saying, okay, is he unstable? They started kind of pressing more and more to see what he would do and following more and more, and like, going through his track. So they got really worried that his instability in his private life would bleed over into him doing unstable things. But at that time, he was already doing... He was already taking people out there to see stuff, and he was already kind of edgy. They, but they were watching everything. Wow, man. And here's the crazy part. When you think about it, we, everybody just saw the movie Oppenheimer, right? I wanted to. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Well, in Oppenheimer, there's a lot of very similar wiretapping going on and a lot of very similar things being recorded and used against people. And we understand these facts to be true today. Mm-hmm. They've come out in the case against Robert Oppenheimer these things have come out. We, there's been books written on it. There is no question that the phones were tapped this way. They were used this way. And for some fucking reason, when it comes to aliens and Bob Lazar, everyone's like, no, nah, they wouldn't do that. <laughs> that, they, that. Our government would never do that. <laughs> they did it to the man who invented the atomic bomb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's known. It's known. And literally everyone's like, nah, man, they wouldn't do that. That's cool. That, no. Why wouldn't you believe they would do that? Of course they did that. Because nobody wants to believe there's another life out there besides this one because we're an arrogant species. Yeah. We believe we're the smartest thing on the planet. Mm. Can you imagine how stupid you would feel if a if an alien was able to roll down here and be like, <laughs> you guys still fly with jets. Yeah. You know you know who else thinks they're really smart? The people over there at Keeping Current Matters. Mm. So this was posted by um, one of our favorite listeners. A former friend of mine. <laughs> He goes by the name of uh, Mind Pump Adam, aka he was, Adam Schaefer. He was definitely trolling Chris. He did. It, he did it on purpose. <laughs> he did. He knew what he was doing. Son of a bitch. What a well played. Well played. So he tags me in a post from them. Uh, by the way, I'm blocked uh, on their page, so, so you can't even see when they post shit like this. Yeah, I can't because yeah, I may have every every day for I think it was three months. They posted some ridiculous data. I would just re, I would just comment. Like big ass paragraphs of the correct data, yeah, and then just berate them, yeah. <laughs> so you know how we've been talking on the show how uh, delinquencies and you know the process of foreclosure have been slowly on the rise. Yeah, the number of the number of accounts that this is actually being impacted may not be enough, mm-hmm. but at the rate of them increasing, that's the alarming part. But Keeping Current Matters decided to post something that serious delinquencies are on a decline. Percent of mortgage loans that are three monthly payments or more past due or in the process of foreclosure or have been on a straight decline. So, yeah. And then he tags me. And then I respond, if there's one IG page that has zero credibility with me, it's keeping current matters. They spew more trash analytics slanted towards inexperienced realtor optimism than anyone. They literally make money selling social media services to realtors right and generally speaking the people the realtors that buy their social media services and i'll explain what those are in a minute in a minute are the more inexperienced just trying to get started so they need realtors to be optimistic and make money in all every single fucking thing they put out is the most warped slant of data you will ever see in your entire life and generally fucking wrong but they pitch it they'll they'll filter their comments out i know they've deleted mine and blocked mine that they do everything they can to maintain their image of respectability. And there is none with them. They make money selling 
their social media analytics, their graphs, their charts, their data to realtors to repost. They even have a, a feature when you subscribe to their service where you can look at it on your phone and it gives you a narrative to read straight off your phone that it makes it look like you're talking to your phone, like off the cuff and very aloof. Like, oh, I'm just talking to my phone, telling you all this cool data. And it's their, their teleprompter view coming up. So you can talk to your, your audience with their bullshit. Yeah. Very, it's Grant, the most, very Grant Cardone-esque. Very Grant Cardone-esque. Very 10X fucking rad, man. <laughs> yeah, man. 10X. <laughs> I am so goddamn tired of these sales fucks on every single social media page. There's a new one who's been who's been making like the, the rounds. I don't he's like a sales guy who's clearly on test. He's an older guy, shaved his head. He's all over social media right now talking about if you're fat. If you're overweight, you fucking can't sell. You don't work here. Oh, I've seen this guy. This fucking what a piece of shit he, this he, guy is. Is that the same guy you make like makes people like get on stage and take the shirts off? Yes. Like, that piece of shit. Yeah. And it's going all over social media. He's going viral. And all he is is another form of Grant Cardone. And while I don't know whether he's good or bad or, or whatever it is, it's just like this this hustle sales culture bullshit's mm. gotta stop. It's gotta stop. And uh, you know, another company that provides not only you know their followers with warp slant data, Compass just came out. Did you see this, bro? Talk about the the biggest okie doke in the industry. Biggest okie doke. So realtors, if you haven't heard about this, pay attention. And it's not just Compass. So yeah, it's very interesting what Compass is doing here. But remember how I talked about earlier how recessionary economies usually begin by you know one of three ways: whether there's layoffs, less consumer spending, or businesses are less profitable. Well, they're going through, they're jumping through hoops to try to show themselves as still profitable, uh, and they're hanging on by a thread. This isn't just Compass. It's literally comp corporations across the nation. I saw you put this in the show notes, and I, and I worried about how much I was going to go fucking off when I got to this topic. Yeah. Because I've got a long, sorted history of problems with this company. I, and that's why I put it on there. That's why I put this on there and keeping current so you're, matters. you're provoking me. I'm trying doing. to provoke you and let you let you go. But let me read this. This is from The Real Deal. Uh, Compass reached its much-publicized goal of being cash flow positive by the end of the second quarter. Look at that. That's bullshit. Yeah, That's look at that. not true. Wait, Chris, do you know how they got there? By manipulating their accounting. Mm, but an analysis of its numbers shows that the brokerage achieved that milestone in part, leaving more commissions unpaid. According to data review by TRD, Compass owed its agents roughly $1 million more than the same time last year. Okay, Robert Refkin, their CEO. Okay, let's just start with the basics. I will say, because I'm going to say a lot of negative shit, mm -hmm. that I like their branding. It's simple, it's minimal, it's cool. They got this bump start, like they were going to disrupt the real estate industry as a brokerage that was, oh, technology-based. So fucking cool. They had all these ideas. They had these signs that were using RFIDs that were all this cool. They were on their website, and you could, in theory, buy them one day that never came to fruition. They are nothing more than every fucking other real estate brokerage in the country. If Century 21 and their gold jackets were alive today, this is what they would be. Mm. They're not special, and yet they got this bump of investors like they were some fintech-based real estate disruptor, and they've never been profitable. And yet everybody's like, ooh, it's cool. I want to go there work there. Ooh, it's cool. It's Ooh, it's Compass. It's cool. And you're like, what the fuck, man? And the worst part about the whole, the whole thing is they've never been cash flow positive until this bullshit happens. And you're like, how? How the fuck all of a sudden are they making more money 
And it's because of obviously some bullshit accounting play, which in my mind, if you're a publicly traded company, this is straight. You go to fucking jail, man. Mm. This is balance sheet and income statement manipulation. This at its core is unethical. And I, I don't know the gap accounting rules because I didn't look into how they did this, but I heard about it. To me, this, your CEO, your CFO, they sign off on those statements for publicly traded companies. They're, they're publicly traded? Are they publicly traded yet? Uh, I'm not sure. Can you look that up? Yep, publicly yep. traded. And New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, straight fuck me in the ass federal president. That's right. That's where they should go. <laughs> this is bullshit, man, because their, their stock price probably got a small bump from this. And when your stock price goes up, guess who has a shit ton of shares? Their CEO, Robert Rufkin. Oh, that's a good point. So now your shares get bumped. I want to know how many shares you sold, Chiefy. Right. Like, it's just, it, it, it's such complete horseshit. Yeah, before he resigns. The whole point of accounting, just for anybody listening, the reason why the rules are so important is you got to have a standard way of looking at financials, okay? You've got to have a standard set of rules. And the accounting rules set out by FASB and, and, and the, the trade are locked in. This is why CPAs and accountants have ways of doing things, okay? When you deviate from those rules and you do some shit like this, you are artificially inflating your value. Compass is cash flow positivity. Well, it turns out it wasn't cash flow positive. Now there's headlines out there about this, and most of America aren't going to go back to see the correction. Ironically, just like the uh, jobs reports numbers that have been corrected down in several times. And I know they've re reduced their office footprint and had a shit ton of layoffs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, come yeah. on, man. Expect to see more of this at the real estate firms. They're hanging on by a thread, baby. Yeah, I don't even think it's just them. I think it's I think it's corporations and companies across the nation, man, that are manipulating their balance sheets. It doesn't make sense how, you know, it, it hasn't people corporations haven't been affected by the Fed funds rate like we thought they would have by now. Look up Robert Rufkin's uh, bio real quick, Arun, if you don't mind. I um I've always looked at his bio and thought, what in the how what the shit? Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. Grew up in Berkeley. Let's see what's going on. Where did he go to school? Oh, Columbia University. Got his bachelor's and his MBA. His occupation is entrepreneur. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, see if you can find his uh, LinkedIn or any of his job history. He's forty-four, by the way. He's a year older than me. I mean, he looked younger. Ouch. Sorry. Yeah, it stung a little bit. Yeah. So CEO and co-founder, keep going down, go to his uh, career highlights down there. He was a co-founder? Yeah, CEO and founder. Mm -hmm. He was chief of staff to the president and chief operating officer of Goldman Sachs. Okay, great history. Yeah. Goldman Sachs, solid. Vice president, principal investment area. White House fellow. He was associate in mergers and acquisitions. He was a business analyst. This is great. You know, come on, man. Great background. I love it. No, don't get me wrong. Anybody who's a Goldman Sachs, particularly with chief of staff to the president and chief operating officer, first of all, not the president, chief operating officer, chief of staff. Difference. But Difference. whatever. Still, great resume. Okay? Mm -hmm. For somebody going into the banking sphere and going to work as a SVP or maybe even an EVP at a smaller community regional bank. But to pivot and say, I'm the founder and CEO of Compass Real Estate? What the fuck? You're right, man. And by being a founder, you know he's got a shit ton of shares. Yeah. So this is straight manipulation. I'm, and if anybody should know it, it's a guy who worked at Goldman Sachs as a business analyst, as a business analyst for McKinsey. Speaking of people that know things, I think we know the person that left the cocaine in the White House. Mm, I don't know where you're going with this, but I like it. You don't. You don't know. I don't know. 
So your girl, Janet Yellen. Oh, dude, big-time drug user. <laughs> big-time drug user? Yeah, you know she's only 42, right? <laughs> no. She's all the drugs, man. It takes a toll. <laughs> takes a toll. Look at that picture. Yeah. That's a 42-year-old woman in her prime right there. She's hallucinating right now. That ketamine will fuck you up. Yeah. So <laughs> Janet Yellen took a trip, right? Yeah, I know what kind of trip you talk about. <laughs> you see that? See what I did there? Went on a trip, and not just in the traditional sense. During a recent stay in Beijing, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen ate a quote-unquote magic mushroom. Like that's just a dinner table in Beijing? Come on, Janet. Yeah, welcome to dinner. Um, this is the the wasabi. This is the ginger. Uh, yeah. You know, just, oh, and those are mushrooms. Hey. But hold on, hold on. It's it's okay though. It's okay because she said she didn't feel any ill effects from having eaten them. She's probably just as, as normally lucid as she <laughs> as she is anyway. Yeah, right? it's like it's Janet Yellen, man. Come on, man. The dosage wasn't strong enough. I need. I, I'm used to more than this. So then, how did she know they were magic hallucinogenic properties? Like, how did she know that they were? I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I know somebody. Somebody probably told her. Okay, let's just take a side note. Here. I was not aware that these mushrooms had hallucinogenic properties. Hold on, listen. That's like first of all, stop. Okay, I did not if inhale. You, if you took mushrooms that had hallucinogenic properties and you didn't hallucinate, how fucked up are you every day? Yeah, bro, they're not sir. Look, I'm telling you right now, the restaurant that Janet Yellen's going to, they're not messing up on orders. Or maybe first of all, nobody serves hallucinogenic mushrooms at any restaurant. Where the hell is she going? I've man? been to China, bro. I've been all over China. Guangzhou, Beijing. Like, I've been to Shanghai. I've been all those places. No, I mean, you can get prostitutes anywhere. You can't get magic mushrooms everywhere. Right. Well, I want to know, why did this even come out? I, I don't know. And Dude. then, and then first of all, shout out to the person who put this, this post together. Yeah. Like, this is the world's worst photo of her, and it's perfect for the actual. <laughs> they knew what they were doing. <laughs> like, can we find a photo where she looks like she's hallucinating? <laughs> But here's the part I don't understand. Her like, teeth look like they're deteriorating. Like how? Well, that's because all the other drugs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, she's clearly got a drug problem, right? Yeah. She's like, I went to a crack den and I accidentally <laughs> took these hallucinogenic mushrooms. <laughs> like, how used to taking drugs are you? Were you having so many hallucinations every single day? Yeah. That you take hallucinogenic drugs and you don't see anything different. Honestly, if she would have just came out and been like, "Look, I tried some magic mushrooms." It was all right. I would have respected her so she much more. She should have said it was for medicinal purposes. Yeah, she should have just said I listened to Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah. I like it. I know. That's, by the way, that's Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. Yes. Joe Rogan. And you know what? Honestly, speaking of hallucinogenics, um, <laughs> Arun, where have you been tonight? Right here? Yeah, you haven't really chimed in, bro. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know. You guys, you're, you guys had a great conversation going. I didn't want to intrude. I think we did have a good conversation. We did, but. Yeah, look, it you're, was you're, a strong show. Come on, man! You're you're, you're the you're the third amigo. Just because you're outside the room doesn't mean you, you can't. Ever seen the three amigos? Yes. You've seen the whole movie. Chevy Chase, bro. That's my guy. At his prime. Okay, you name one guy. Well, bro, I don't know. Martin Short. Names. Martin Short. Yeah, he. I like him too. Can you name the third amigo? I cannot. Not off the top of my head. It's been a long time, man. I'm not just watching that on reruns. That's okay. I don't blame you. That's fine. Do, can you? No, that's why I asked you. You're hoping Odin pulls it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, come on, Arun. Come, come on, Arun. hurry up, bro. Chevy Chase Martin. Steve, Steve Martin. Martin. Fuck, wow. I should have known that. That's Damn it. That's really, that's really bad. That is bad. He was. He's probably the best one. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah. Although Chevy Chase's Fletch was is going to go down in like history for me. Fletch, Fletch was so good. Have you ever heard the story of uh, Steve Martin and his stand-up comedy career? No. It's pretty crazy, man. So his stand-up comedy really is what, like, Projecting to where he like ultimately all those ended guys up. back then. That's that's what they got famous. And for. he had, I guess, great sets. And apparently, so he he was such a purist to the sport. He could have kept going on forever and making money or hand over fist, right? 
but I heard Rogan talk about this on a, on a, one of his episodes that it got to the point where he had like props that were supposed to show up like on screen or come out or whatnot, and he was doing a show, and the punchline was the prop, and the prop didn't come up, and the crowd started bursting up into laughter. Right? They're all laughing, and he said, "Oh." I'm just here. I just show up and you guys laugh. It's no longer fun. So that's what ultimately had made him segue out of doing stand-up. I was like, wow, that's, I mean, that's pretty commendable, right? Well, it didn't hurt his career in the long run, right? I mean, yeah. if anything, it just pivoted him to something he probably And that's one more. of the coolest things about, you know, the industry of, like, comedians, for me personally, is the really, really good ones. It's, it's like such a close-knit, tight fraternity that they're all purest of it and they just want to protect it. Yeah, I mean, well, there's those. There are those who are fame whores and stuff like that, and it's interesting to see who rises and who doesn't. Um, I get why a guy like Schultz is, is on the rise. Mm-hmm. He's just good, man. He's great, and he's a marketing genius. Yeah, he understands the marketing game. He understands the marketing game, and yeah. he never he he always went against the grain. I like I like his style because he always he's like, there's no such thing as something that's not funny. I'm gonna ask a question. I know it's gonna be very. He had Epstein jokes, bro, when he, when Epstein was like at his... I know, but let me... I got a theory. I think as a comedian, if you're a man, being aesthetically pleasing to look at really matters. Kevin Hart. Short, but a good-looking dude. Oh, Gaffigan, bro, is not really aesthetically pleasing. He's hilarious. I don't know who that is. What? Gaffigan? Yeah. Pull him up, Odun. I don't remember his first name. N- name another un- unattractive comedian. Um, Okay. Um, Rodney Dangerfield? Nah, in his prime, Rodney did Jim Gaffigan. It's not a bad looking dude. Come on, man. He's not a bad looking dude. You don't look at him and go, terrible. Okay, okay. How about this? I mean, he, play, this. he plays to his. How about this? Sure. This is now recently, but in his prime, Burt Kreischer or Tom Segura. They're Joe Rogan's okay, yeah. best friends. Yeah, I know. Burt Kreischer in his prime. Bro, he stands on stage with his belly hanging out. But look at Burt Kreischer now. And honestly, about him? no, fa- Burt fa- Kreischer. Facially, not a bad looking guy, though. Like, just his face. <laughs> he didn't have to walk around with, with the shirt on, off. I mean, the shirt take, off is... You're taking away from, like, his his, uh, his content, though. Like, his content is good. It's all I'm about sure the is. content. Yeah. All right, well, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Maybe the show would be better if, you know, we had a ruin on the camera. I agree. We need to get him a camera. Yeah, we got to upgrade equipment to that, though. It's yeah. going to require one of you guys to come out and sponsor the show. <laughs> <laughs> or we could pivot the podcast to making just white noise. Or we make $18,000 a month on Spotify. Or we could start selling uh, ice cold plunge baths or whatever. I'm telling you, you fucked the whole thing up. Dude, I had a whole strategy ready to go. You know how cheap I could have gotten those? The math worked. Bobby Lee is a very attractive man. And you know what? His now ex-wife and him had a great relationship. And then he fucked that up. He's very unattractive, dude. Bobby Lee? Yeah. Not not a fan. Brian Callen, on on the other hand, very attractive. I liked him. So you are attracted to Brian Callen. <laughs> yeah, I am. He's a stud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's his ex-wife. That was sad they broke up. I liked them as a couple. It was different. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think it's officially that time, Saeed. You got anything? Odun, you got anything for the show? Nope. Wow, you don't have to ask like that. Arud, is there anything you'd like to contribute to tonight's show? That's worse because if he says no, he's like, I don't contribute anything. That's pretty much what you said. He had nothing. <laughs> well, I didn't say this. So you do got- you have anything for tonight's show? He said no. Oh, okay. I mean, we splitting hairs here? I think we are. I can't afford to split many hairs. <laughs> oh, uh, full disclosure. End of the show. Nobody's listening at this point, so it's fine. <laughs> Y'all dropped I, off. I don't, yeah, I don't want anybody. Uh, the the <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> it's tough. All right. 
I would like to proactively nip something in the bud. Oh, here we go. I had my hair transplant with Zeering, and they've reached out to me for a testimonial video. This is uh, this month is uh, Hair Awareness Month. Oh, apparently, not, how do you know? Don't say apparently. <laughs> I, I didn't know this. Hold I, on, I did not know. Hold on, hold on. It's the seventeenth. You've August. known about you've <laughs> known about this for how long? And I've recorded a video, and you're gonna see it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, hair loss being a really, I don't even really, National Hair Loss Awareness Month, whatever. National Hair. So uh, I recorded a video. Sponsored by Jada Smith. Yeah, <laughs> alopecia. Alopecia. Uh, and uh, they're probably going to circulate that on social media. And uh, then I woke up in the middle of the night going, shit, I'm one of those hair club for men guys now. I'm basically a Bosley guy. You are a Bosley guy. Yeah, so that's going to be out there. And now you can't make fun of me because I brought it to your attention proactively. Damn, I got a great Lee Bosley story that I can't share. No, you can't. I cannot. You cannot. Well, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. You can't. No. You stole my line. You supposed to do what I do. Do your line. I got my line. Bye. I can't believe you sabotaged the end of the show.